This is an ABC podcast. Leadership really is just a series of moments and every moment is an opportunity for all of us to leave a positive impact or this sort of messy wake behind us. When you think of a good leader, what or who comes to mind? And is that person pretty different from who you may have pictured, say, 10 years ago? Increasingly, our image and expectation of a good leader is changing. We go to school and university and we get promoted often on our technical skills for our head-based skills of how much we understand the industry, you know, the technical specifications of whatever it is we have to do. But we need leaders who can also balance that with leading with their heart. And that means being leaders who can put people at the centre of their decisions, who are humble, who are courageous, who are self-aware of the impact they're having on others and who can lead with empathy. And the art of this type of leadership is knowing what is needed when. Because there's going to be some situations when you need a whole heap of head, you need to understand technically what's going on. But just as quickly, that conversation or crisis or situation might turn into one where you actually need a whole heap of heart and you need to pull out that humility attribute pretty heavily. So who are these leaders who can walk this tightrope? And is this balancing act sustainable? Hello, I'm Lisa Leong and welcome to This Working Life. Today, I'm talking with leadership expert, Dr. Kirsten Ferguson, author of the new book, Head and Heart, The Art of Modern Leadership. So Kirsten, what are the characteristics you're using to measure the head and the heart? The four of the head are curiosity, wisdom, perspective, and the fourth is capability, and that's being able to do whatever it is you do. And then the four from the heart are humility, self-awareness, courage, and empathy. We've all got those eight. It's just sometimes we hide them away for our family and forget to bring them out at work. So are you saying that particularly now this type of leader, head and heart, is required, and why is that? I think we've had, firstly, centuries of thinking about leaders as people with fancy position titles and, you know, gorgeous corner offices and uh, all the accolades and power and authority that comes with leading. What we've seen this century in particular are leaders who have come through movements. So if you think of Black Lives Matter or Me Too, and these are people with no position, title or authority. And if you look at um, through the pandemic, we had leaders in our healthcare workers who might have been nurses who have no formal authority, but no one would argue that they're not leading. And I think we look at leaders like Jacinda Ardern, Volodymyr Zelensky, Satya Nadella at uh, Microsoft, and they've all proudly shown that you can integrate the type of leader you are at home. And this is what I really encourage leaders to do, is that though at home you often and have empathy and humility and self-awareness. But for some reason, you come into the office and think you need to put up this armour of just being technically brilliant. And those leaders that I listed before are ones that have really shown you can integrate your head and heart. And so I do think the expectations of us from our leaders has changed significantly. Through the pandemic, when we saw leaders who we just knew understood what we were going through. They understood the fear and the anxiety we all remember feeling at the very beginning. You compare that to leaders we also saw who said, no, everything's fine. I'm going off to the footy. There's nothing to see here. And yet 
we knew that didn't feel right, that didn't match our lived experience. In my research for the book, I've deliberately incorporated the ideas of diversity and inclusion in Leading with Empathy because unless you can lead with empathy, you're not likely to go and seek out different lived experiences to your own. And that is the kind of leader we desperately need to see. You also talk about this leadership not being a formal title. So what's a specific example of a person leading at work with head and heart without the formal title of leadership? Yeah, well, I open um, in the introduction with a story of a grocery store worker and it was during the pandemic and she wouldn't have been older than, you know, 19 or 20. We've all, you know, been served by people, you can imagine, like that. And she would have had zero authority, uh, no staff, no responsibility, certainly no fancy title. And in this particular instance, I remember watching as she had to deal with a really aggressive customer, an older man who didn't want to wear a mask and he was complaining about having to wear a mask. And she, just as myself and others were getting ready to step forward in a very protective mode and and say something, she did a job far better than we could have done and led in that moment with grace and patience. She explained that she didn't like wearing a mask either, but that her grandmother lived with them and she was trying to keep her safe. And you know, she was a leader. And while she didn't have the same responsibilities, obviously, as the CEO of that supermarket, she did lead in the way she conducted herself and led with her head and her heart. And I think too often we only think about celebrating and rewarding and acknowledging leaders who do have the fancy titles and who do, you know, earn lots of money and and are the titans of industry or politicians or whatever, when most commonly the leaders that we deal with are around us every day. Families, parents are leading, teachers are leading. You know, the bus driver leads in the way that he conducts himself, you know, during the day on the roads. All of that is leadership and all of it is capable of being undertaken with both your head and your heart. And what can we learn from that example? Can you unpick it a bit for us? What was she specifically doing that you think was different and a great example of this type of leadership? I think for many people, they who are not self-aware of the impact of their behaviour on others may have reacted quite differently. She would have been quite justified in getting upset or getting angry at him or uh, feeling that, you know, she needed to call a supervisor or something like that. She was very young and yet she didn't. She held her ground. She was listened to him. She was respectful of what he had to say. But then with a great deal of courage, and courage is one of the heart-based leadership attributes, she said her piece and she did so in a way that showed empathy for what he was saying. She understood. She didn't like these masks either. Yet she explained with her head and, and with great wisdom why it was necessary and she diffused situation in that moment that could have otherwise, you know, been the videos we see of people fighting over toilet paper or whatever. She, in that moment, we all watched her and leadership really is just a series of moments and every moment is an opportunity for all of us to leave a positive impact or this sort of messy wake behind us and she left a positive impact I've written about it people watched it you know I left the supermarket thinking my god that's rather impressive and I'm not sure if at 19 or 20 I would have responded like that so you know, those are the kind of leaders that we need to acknowledge are leading in that moment and encourage and reward leading in that way. 
And here's the nub. Reflecting on that story, I get this sense of incredible strength and courage, quite the opposite to the empathy or soft or weakness that is something sometimes potentially bandied about with a different type of leadership. What are your reflections on that? Yeah, and I think, you know, this idea of if you're leading with empathy, you're somehow a weaker leader. I mean, it's hard to lead with empathy. It's hard to be vulnerable. It's hard to say and have the courage to say, actually, you know, that must be really difficult. I don't know how to help you in this moment, but what can we work out together? It's far easier to try and be the smartest person in the room and to come up with all the answers, but that's not effective leadership. And I think younger generations particularly are looking for leaders who lead with their head and their heart. And Jacinda Ardern is a very good example of someone who speaks about that you can be empathetic and strong. And, you know, it's self-evident. It seems strange that she has been such an unusual case. And I write about her and Volodymyr Zelensky in their book. And the fact we talk about them is because they are so rare as leaders. In your book, absolutely, you mentioned Jacinda Ardern. On the 19th of January in 2023, Jacinda stood down as New Zealand's PM and her quote, I am leaving because with such a privileged role comes responsibility. The responsibility to know when you are the right person to lead and also when you are not. I know what this job takes. And I know that I no longer have enough in the tank to do it justice. It's that simple. Kirsten, can too much heart leave you with an empty tank? Okay, there's a bit to unpack there. So firstly, modern leaders, and she in that statement demonstrates humility and everything about being a modern leader. So right till the end, she is a head and heart leader. But they're also not perfect. So, you know, I've had a number of people say to me, oh, but internally, you know, she wasn't going to win the election and she wasn't liked or her popularity had plummeted. Well, you know, that's not surprising because that happens. No leader stays around forever. And I think what she demonstrated is that real self-awareness that for her and for the country, she was courageous enough that as the Prime Minister, she was prepared to stand down. I think, though, there can be too much empathy. And this is a fascinating topic. And I would recommend anyone reads the book Against Empathy by Paul Bloom. I, when I first heard that, sort of had a reaction and like it was a trigger going, what do you mean there can be too much empathy? But there can. And as a leader, the art is knowing what's appropriate and when. It can lead to burnout. It can lead to cognitive biases because you've got someone who's telling you their story and it's very sad and you want to help them. Yet there's actually 10 other people who have got similar situations that aren't coming and telling you about it, that you're not addressing. So I think empathy is something that leaders must have, but it's not sympathy or compassion or pity. It's intellectual empathy, if you can call it that, where you can understand what someone's telling you. You can stand in their shoes and really seek to understand their lived experience, but you don't take those emotions on yourself. And I think unlike when we might speak to a really close girlfriend or our children and they're telling us something and we actually feel quite upset by what they're telling us, that's not helpful at work. That's going to lead to a a huge amount of burnout. And so I do think empathy is one that um, needs to be understood. It's still critically important though. And even in the corporate world, saying "I, I don't have all the answers, that also has risks there 
What are your reflections on that? Well, I mean, I the fact is they don't have all the answers. So the person who's refusing to say that is not telling the truth because no one has all the answers. So I do think it's something that people should feel entirely able to do and to know that they're actually going to earn more trust by saying that. And I think it takes confidence. And that's something that all leaders over time generate. But some leaders go, let's call it down the dark side. They feel they need to have the answers all the time. And the more senior they become, the more they believe that their answers are correct. And we know that humility really struggles with power. And so the more senior you become, it becomes harder. But I think there's other leaders who are really self-aware and they know that even if they're the most important person in the room, and I use inverted commas there, obviously, but by authority, they know that there's other experts there that may not have the big picture that they've got, but they'll have contributions that will really help make a different um, decision and and a better outcome in the end. Kirsten, you've had incredible and numerous leadership roles yourself and you have shared that you've had scar tissue from the mistakes you've made. Can you share some of those stories with us and how the head and heart played into that and those mistakes? Yeah, I think when I think back of mistakes I've made and like I make mistakes every day, so I've got a wealth of examples to choose from. And some of the more frustrating ones are the ones you never, you keep making, you know, you never seem to overcome. But a lot of the time it'll be where uh, I write in the book about amygdala hijacks, which people will have heard about, where something will happen and you instantly respond. And um, Will Smith at the Oscars last year was, you know, an amygdala hijack on a global scale when you jump up on stage and slap the host. But when... So have you, you know, done that, Kirsten? <laughs> yeah, well, I haven't had an Oscar. No, I haven't been cancelled yet. Slap but, down someone at work? No, but I have had, you know, where you just want to shoot off an email in response and you immediately regret it um, or you know you know you might feel overly confident um, because things are going well and you'll be in a meeting and and sprout stuff that's actually you look back on and think what on earth like how embarrassing that I've said that or you talk too much you know I've written little notes to myself in meetings going basically shut up and I write I call it the word to wisdom ratio because when I first started on boards I noticed uh, that firstly I was talking a lot because I was so brand new I felt I had to contribute to everything every discussion even if I you know had no idea what I was talking about. And I was noticing that other more senior directors barely said anything at all. And But what they did say was gold and it would change the course of the discussion. And, you know, this is more than a decade ago now. I hope my word to wisdom ratio has got better, but I still think about it in terms of, you know, do I really need to say those endless paragraphs of useful contribution or can we just get to the nub of what's going to actually be an important thing to add in this meeting? But, I mean, they're little micro examples. There's also been big things where, you know, I might not have had the courage to do something I wanted to do, you know, and you you want to speak up about something, but you just, it's overwhelming, that fear. And everyone goes through those kinds of things. And you look back later and wonder, well, you know, what could I have done differently? Can we flip it as well? So can you share an example of a time when you really had to choose empathy, you had to choose heart, and maybe it rubbed up against something like money or team 
definitely lots of examples I can think of, but there's one in particular where financially it had a huge impact on me, but it was a decision I made that was against my values. It was against how I felt, um, you know, if I'd stayed in that environment, uh, watching other people being damaged as well. And so I think when it does impact you personally, financially, that's really tough. I mean, it's not something most of us just do you know, on a whim, but it gets that point, you know, when you're going into work or you're doing something and your stomach's just churning and, you know, you want to be anywhere but that place. That for me is a real marker that obviously something has to change regardless of the cost on a personal level. And so I think those things is one example where I've had to make a decision, but there's also been sitting around board tables. I sit on boards where you do you know, there might be something you could do, but what should you do? And those kinds of decisions require you to use empathy and really balance your head and heart. You have created a way of looking and reflecting on people's leadership and head and heart. And in fact, I had a little bit of a go. So I found it on your website and I had a go at your uh, head and heart survey. What did we find, Kirsten? Lisa, of course, you outperform. <laughs> You're a, you get well, There is no pass or fail in these, by the way, but, you know, as compared to the averages, you're doing incredibly well. I, can I ask you, before you did it, would you have said you're naturally a head or a heart-based leader? intuitively um, have been trained as a head leader because I was a lawyer. Over the years, I have been trying to develop my heart side. So it's been a specific choice to tap in more to my heart, but it's a work in progress. Well, were you pleased to see that this showed overall you are a heart-based leader? I was surprised and really excited about that. That's good. So curiosity was your number one strength, and I'm not at all surprised. I mean, you're in media, so that kind of goes with the territory. But it's a fabulous skill to have for all leaders. And you're not just curious. I'm guessing you're not just curious about some things. You're curious about anything, basically. Anything, and particularly people. So always driven by the human behind the idea or the thing, and that does drive me. So that was really nice to see because that was my feeling was that I um, have strong curiosity. (laughs) And then self-awareness. So how important is that? So what does that look like for you on a daily basis? So I was really strong on self-awareness, but the funny thing is, couldn't a person who has really low self-awareness also fill out this? (laughs) Well, that's more humility. (laughs) So the research shows that people who are humble tend to not suggest they're humble and those yeah, who are, it's the reverse. But self-awareness should be pretty accurate. Okay. Uh, Because it means you're aware of your limitations and that is one of the key strengths of a modern leader. But then what I'm really excited about is perspective for you. So number three for Lisa is perspective. And in my research, this is the superpower of modern leaders. And in another layman's terms, it's reading the room. And it means you can read the room, not just a physical room, obviously, but your industry or your family or your community, your organisation, your country. And that is so important to be able to go in and understand the context in which you're leading and also be able to tell who's missing from the room. It's not just who's there, but who's not there and to seek out those voices that you're not hearing from. So I was really excited to see you so strong in perspective. Kirsten, how did you go? I am a heart-based leader, but you and I share 
the least of both of us scored. Well, we haven't failed. They're just out of eight. Number eight <laughs> is wisdom. And mine is the same as yours. And that's about being able to see a few steps ahead. And it's all related to decision making and things. So I suspect for me anyway, it relates to, you know, I, I can make decisions really quickly, perhaps without thinking through all the consequences all the time. Is that something you That is completely with? resonating with me. And even your word to wisdom. <laughs> I know, the word to wisdom ratio, yeah, exactly. So there, you and I can equally work on, on that one. Kirsten, for people listening who want to have more head and heart or at least balance out their head and heart, what are some tips that you would like to suggest? Well, firstly, it's not thinking you have to throw out everything you've ever learned. So everything you've learned about leading and leading your family, leading at work, whatever, is going to have a place. The idea, though, that I want people to take away is that to really succeed and to actually make it easier for you as a leader is to find your way to integrate the leader you are at home with the leader you are at work. And the easiest and most successful way to do that is to balance this idea of leading with your head and your heart. And just remembering that even if you're the CFO and you're doing the annual financial accounts, you still need to bring in your heart because every decision is going to have an impact about people at some point. So I think for Everyone in every situation, it's this art of knowing what is needed when and to understand those attributes. There's eight of them. Being able to draw on as many as you can is going to really help you succeed as a modern leader. Thank you so much, Kirsten. Thank you. Such a pleasure. Thanks to my guest, Kirsten Ferguson. And if you want to do the leadership survey I did, go to headheartleader.com. It's free and it takes five minutes. Thanks to producer Zoe Ferguson for her big heart and her big head. Oh, hang on, that came out wrong. This Working Life is made on the lands of the Bidjigal people of the Darug Nation and the Walradjuri people of the Kulin Nation. Next time on This Working Life, making everyone in the LGBTIQ plus rainbow feel welcome and safe at work. What's working and what needs improving? I think when I bring in this idea of equitable design into the workplace, it's starting from the intention of creating equity. So I think often we think about, you know, considering the trans experience or people of color or disabled people or people who have multiple of those identities as like an afterthought, like we build it and then ask if it works for them. And I wanted to radically reimagine that and say, what if we actually make sure that the trans person of color is the first person that we design for? Having that invitation to be part of that original design process provides that ownership, provides the buy-in for that, that allows that that respect and acknowledgement of, of First Nations people in the design and implementation. Until then, work it, baby. We've been talking about good leadership, but of course, Anthony Fennell likes to turn things on their heads. Anthony, what are you doing in your episode of Future Tense? Thank you very much, Lisa. Well, I suppose we are turning it on our heads. We're looking at, I guess what you'd say is when good leadership possibly goes wrong. And that's an idea called managerialism, which really came about in the 1970s, late 70s and, and early 1980s. And critics tie it to, you know, neoliberalism and say that basically what it is, it's a a professionalisation of the leadership within organisations and companies. Now, you know, you would think that's a really good thing, but the argument is that it's just gone too far. 
and that we've ended up with this sort of separation, if you like, between the management level and then employees. And the people I speak to will say that's one reason why executive salaries are enormous and seem to be out of whack, even in the public sector, with uh, with the salaries of their own workers. And, you know, that separation is a, a, a really a big thing. And one of the people I speak to is from the University of Technology, Sydney. His name is Peter Fleming. He's a, a specialist in this whole area. And he talks about the, the increase in hierarchical structure. So we actually end up with more managers because of this managerial approach. And I guess, you know, this idea of rethinking our management structures, of managerialism, is, is part of that kind of rethink that we're having at the moment with people worried in our society about where the economy is going and about how our lives fit into all of this. Thanks, Anthony. Thank you very much, Lisa. Hear more about this in the Future Tense podcast feed. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.